Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Hola, bienvenido a For Fox's Sake. I mean, welcome to For Fox's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, fresh off my trip from Spain, and my co-host is Katie. Hola, I stayed here. <laughs> Let's just fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered chapter 19, The Lion and the Serpent, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Everyone is shocked by Hermione and her protean charm, but it is unclear as to whether they are more impressed by her skill or scared of her power. Luna is the ride-or-die that nobody is worthy of. Slytherins are still shit at insults, but Ron is so full of nerves that he makes for easy prey. Harry goes muggle on Draco's ass when his mother becomes the topic of conversation. Angelina is pretty sure she can blame Harry for her premature gray hair. And McGonagall thinks that she's pretty good at doling out punishments until Umbridge comes along and says, hold my butterbeer. During episode 152, Dicks and Chicks on Sticks, our Potter pondering was... Do you think it was okay that the Order of the Phoenix film left Quidditch out completely? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the Order of the Phoenix leaving out Quidditch entirely? I feel, you know, like that's pretty much fucked up. This is where we get to the part where they like to piece shit together when and where they feel like piecing it together like you know whole other movies like you know like next year oh i mean i don't know why they did that shit i really don't remember though shortest movie they left out everything everything but luna and thestrals that's all we get Hey Ellen, hey Katie, it's Jackson here with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about the Order of the Phoenix movie leaving out Quidditch entirely? Personally, I didn't like it. I know that for you guys who aren't big fans of Quidditch, who don't think it's that relevant, but for this one, yeah, it was relevant because it was yet another way of showing the absolute bitchiness. No, sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. The cuntiness of Umbridge. So leaving out Quidditch entirely wasn't a good idea for me. Hi, this is Jessica calling in for this week's pondering. Do I think it was okay that the Order of the Phoenix left out Quidditch? No. No, I do not. This has to be my most hated change from this movie. We already didn't get Quidditch and Goblet of Fire because of the tournament. They just decided the sport didn't exist anymore. Quidditch is a huge part of the books, and this is the year Ron finally joined the team. The Slytherin singing Weasley as our king, and then the iconic turning of the tide when Gryffindor sings it for Ron because he played so well. It was finally Ron in the spotlight, not Harry, and they fucking cut it out. Umbridge banning Red forging Harry from the team, which was another reason to absolutely despise her, and it's a shame we had that ripped away from us. And who wouldn't want to see Malfoy getting beat up after the match? I just want to sit down with the director and nicely, calmly shake his shoulders and scream, why? I will never understand why it was cut out. There wasn't even much else going on in most of the movie anyway. They could have easily fit in a couple of matches. It's bad enough leaving out the fact that Ron was a prefect, but to also cut him joining Quidditch team this year and he was actually pretty good once he got past his nerves. Then acting like it didn't happen until the following year is just ridiculous. Yeah, to sum up, I hate this change. Shame. Hey, girls, this is Tom. I'm calling to say what do I think about Order of Phoenix taking Quidditch out of the movies? I didn't like it. If for no other reason we lost a good version of Weasley is our king. I mean, I can't say for Stephen Fry, but 
the Jim Dale version is just like, has he ever been to a sports game? That's not how anthems sound like at all. Bye. Thank you so much for your responses. Really good ones this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our trivia question last week was, what was the first gift that Hagrid and Madame Maxime brought to the Gurg of the Giants? The first gift was a branch of Gulbraithian fire or everlasting fire. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater. Woohoo! She has officially hit five weeks in a row. I think that Mike maybe might start to be getting a little bit nervous at this point, though she still has quite a few weeks to go before she ties him. Think he's going to let her? We shall see. For now, let's just dive into Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale, and the strangely not quite corresponding, corresponding film scenes, I guess. Strangely enough, that makes sense. Yeah. Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale. Harry immediately sprints to his dormitory to get his invisibility cloak and the Marauder's Map, but then has to wait for Hermione, who comes back down from her dorm wearing a scarf, gloves, and one of her knobbly elf hats. They creep out of the portrait hole and cover themselves with the cloak before cautiously making their way through the castle and onto the grounds, luckily only seeing nearly headless Nick. When Harry sees the lights on in Hagrid's cabin, he sets off at a quick march through the snow, Ron and Hermione jostling along behind him. When they reach the door, he knocks, and as Fang starts barking, he calls through the keyhole that it's them. Hagrid isn't remotely surprised that they're there and opens the door. When his head appears in the gap, Hermione screams at the sight of his cut, bruised, and puffy face. He tells them to keep it down and ushers them in, moving gingerly, making Harry think that in addition to all the cuts and bruises, he may also have some broken ribs. He asks Hagrid what happened and gets a firm nothing in response. Hagrid also attempts to change the subject and offer them tea, but the trio insist on finding out why he's in such a state. Hagrid insists that he's dealing with it and pulls out a large, greenish stake that he puts over his eye to help with the stinging. Harry asks if he's going to tell them what happened, but Hagrid says he can't. It's top secret. Hermione quietly asks if the giants beat him up, and this completely stuns Hagrid, who wants to know who told him where he's been. Hermione explains that they just guessed... And though Hagrid is initially stern, he also kind of smiles as he tells them he's never known any other kids to know more than they ought to, and calls them nosy and interfering. Harry grins and fishes for more information about the giants. Resigned, Hagrid admits that that's where he was, and when Ron asks where they are, he just vaguely tells them mountains. Ron pleads for more information, telling Hagrid that if he tells them about being attacked by giants, Harry can tell him about being attacked by Dementors. This causes Hagrid to choke on his tea. He demands more information, and Harry says, tell us about your summer and I'll tell you about mine. He maintains an expression of innocence until Hagrid agrees, letting them know that at the end of term, he and Madame Maxime headed to where Dumbledore told him the giants were. It took them about a month to get there since they were being watched by the Ministry and couldn't use magic to travel. They also had to be careful since he and Alomp stuck out quite a bit and aren't hard to follow. Someone from the Ministry was following them, so they went to France and had to pretend like they were heading to Beaubatons and managed to give them the slip around Dijon. After that, they could use a little bit of magic and made it to the mountains with only a few minor issues. They then had to lay off the magic as they got closer to the giants and also had to be extra careful in case there were Death Eaters around. They eventually found the giants, about 70 or 80 of them, and waited until morning to go down to see them. Again following Dumbledore's instructions, they brought gifts to the chief of the giants, the Gurg, to show respect. The Gurg, Carcass, was lying down in the valley, so they approached how Dumbledore advised, holding the gift up high, then placing it at the Gurg's feet as they bowed. Ron asks what they give a giant, and Hermione is impressed to learn that they gave him a branch of Gulbraithian fire. She's annoyed that she has to explain that it's everlasting fire to Ron and Harry since Flitwick has mentioned it at least twice in class. Hagrid quickly continues his story, saying they said a gift to the Gurg of the Giants from Albus Dumbledore, who sends his respectful greetings. 
Since Carcass didn't speak English, they had to get a giant who could translate, and then the Gurg was very pleased with the gift. They then said they would return the next day with another gift, again at Dumbledore's instructions, to make a good impression and not overload them with information. When they showed up the next morning, Carcass was sitting up waiting for them, and they presented him with a nice goblin-made battle helmet. They talked to the giants a bit that day, and several giants seemed quite interested in what they had to say, so they said they'd come back the next day with another present. That night, it all went wrong when a fight broke out among the giants, and the next morning, Carcass's head was lying at the bottom of the lake, and there was a new gurg named Golgameth. Since they didn't want to give up, they still approached him and offered him the gift meant for Carcass, but instead of a welcoming reception, Hagrid found himself hanging upside down by his feet. He only got out of it because Olamp performed some quick spell work, hitting the giants in the eyes with the conjunctivitis curse, so they would drop him and they managed to get away. They knew they couldn't just march back onto the camp again, but hung around lying low to watch what was going on. They ended up seeing that Death Eaters were visiting and bringing the new Gurg gifts, and he seemed perfectly happy to speak with them. They decided that even though the Gurg seemed to favor the Death Eaters, that didn't mean all the giants would, and they snuck around at night looking for the ones that hadn't want Golgamath as Gurg. Most of them were badly hurt, so it wasn't as dangerous as possibly running into Death Eaters, and they managed to persuade about six or seven of them, until Golgamath and his lot raided the caves, and the remaining giants didn't want anything to do with them after that. Hagrid says that they did what Dumbledore asked them to do, and he just hopes that some of them may remember and may still come. After a few moments of silence, Hermione asks if Hagrid heard anything about his mother, and he shares that she had died a few years ago. They fall silent again, and then Ron and Harry point out that he still hasn't explained how he got in his beaten-up state or why he got back so late. Before they can get an answer, they hear a knock at the door, causing Hermione to drop and break her mug. Fang starts barking and the trio have to dive under the invisibility cloak as they realize that Professor Umbridge is at the door. As they huddle together and back into the corner, they hiss for Hagrid to hide their mugs. He does so, looking very confused, and then opens the door to meet Professor Umbridge for the first time. She barely comes up to his navel and very slowly and loudly asks if he is Hagrid, and then just strolls right into the room snapping and waving her handbag at Fang, who is attempting to lick her face. Hagrid asks who she is, and when she says she's Dolores Umbridge, he says he thought she worked at the Ministry. She explains that she did, and now she's the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and Hogwarts High Inquisitor. He asks what that is, and instead of answering, she just points at the broken mug on the ground and returns the question. He awkwardly explains that Fang broke the mug, so he had to get a different one, and Umbridge keeps looking around the room. She quietly states that she heard voices, which Hagrid explains away by saying he was talking to Fang. Umbridge isn't buying it, since there are also three sets of footprints leading from the castle to the cabin, but no footsteps leading away. He nervously says he has no idea what that'd be, and Umbridge begins looking around more carefully, opening cabinets, peering under the bed, and checking inside Hagrid's giant cauldron. She then asks about his injuries, and Hagrid begins rambling, describing how he fell over a friend's broomstick. She cuts him off to ask where he's been, since no one seems to be aware of it, and the term started two months ago. Hagrid responds that he's been away for his health, getting a bit of fresh air. Umbridge also doesn't buy this, using her sweet voice to sarcastically say that fresh air must be so difficult to come by as gamekeeper. Hagrid mentions a change of scenery, and Umbridge inquires if it was mountain scenery, also challenging every response that Hagrid has. She tells him that she will be informing the minister of his late return and lets him know that as High Inquisitor, she will be inspecting him since the ministry is determined to weed out unsatisfactory teachers. She then leaves and Hagrid watches from the window as the trio waits to make sure she's really gone. They fill in Hagrid on her inspections, letting him know that Trelawney has already been put on probation and Hermione asks about the lessons he plans to teach pleading with him not to do anything dangerous, since Umbridge is looking for any excuse to get rid of teachers she thinks are too close to Dumbledore. Hagrid doesn't really listen to her, instead just saying that it's been a long day and is late. 
He tells them they better get back to the castle and to make sure they wipe their footprints behind them. On their way back, Ron tells Hermione that he doesn't think she got through to him, and she says she will go back again tomorrow. She'll plan lessons for him if she has to. She doesn't care if Umbridge throws Trelawney out, but she is not taking Hagrid. The movie section starts out with a transitioning shot of Hogwarts Castle. The camera glides up and over the courtyard, then cuts to show Harry and Cho walking together, talking and laughing among the other students. Just as they are about to head into the castle with all the other kids, Hermione calls Harry's name and tells him that Hagrid is back. She turns and walks away and Harry apologizes to Cho before following after her. The camera cuts again to Harry, Ron, and Hermione running across the grounds to Hagrid's cabin. They arrive and stop dead in their tracks as they hear Professor Umbridge's voice. They creep up to a window and listen in as she orders him to tell her where he's been. Hagrid says he told her that he's been away for his health, which she seems to doubt. Hagrid doubles down, insisting that he needed a bit of fresh air as the camera shifts to focus on the two talking inside the house. Umbridge sarcastically comments on how fresh air must be difficult to come by as gamekeeper, and a slightly beat-up-looking Hagrid glances side to side with no response. Umbridge then tells him not to get too used to being back, suggesting that he shouldn't even bother unpacking before leaving a confused Hagrid to consider what she said. As the door opens, Harry, Ron, and Hermione hurry around the corner of the house out of sight. She steps out of the door, takes a deep breath, and acknowledges a foul smell. Pulling perfume out, she sprays herself, then an X on Hagrid's door before walking back to the castle. The camera cuts again to Hagrid holding an uncooked steak he intermittently holds to a bruised eye. He tells the trio that he is about to share something top secret with them and says that Dumbledore sent him to parlay with the giants. Hermione repeats giants in an astonished voice and Hagrid shushes her. She lowers her voice and asks if he found them. Hagrid explains that they honestly aren't that hard to find since they're so big and informs the trio that he was trying to convince them to join the cause, though he wasn't the only one trying to win them over. Ron mutters, Death Eaters, and Hagrid confirms this, saying they were trying to persuade them to join you-know-who. Harry asks if they did, and Hagrid tells them that he passed along Dumbledore's message, and supposes that some of them remember that Dumbledore was friendly to them, before trailing off and sighing. Harry asks if they did this to him, gesturing to his cuts and bruises, and Hagrid evasively says, not exactly, as Fang begins barking. Hagrid tosses the dog his steak and looks back at the trio as wind picks up and blows grass clippings across the floor as Fang barks again. The camera cuts to show the window and zooms in as the wind sounds get louder, then shifts to the four of them standing and looking out the window, as Hagrid informs them that it is changing out there, just like the last time, saying there's a storm coming and they'd all best be ready when she does. The camera briefly focuses on Harry, Ron, and Hermione before transitioning with a lightning strike to a prisoner who looks down at the dark mark tattoo on his left forearm. So it's interesting to me how this is literally the exact same scene, but it's also not the same scene. Mm Mm-hmm. There's like one thing that's practically word for word. Yeah. But then other than that, it is not the same. Yeah, a little bit. The movie puts it later than in the book. Stupid fucking montage. But we're going to just jump forward a bit to talk about it now, since it directly corresponds to this chapter, even if there are some significant differences. Yeah. Even how they get there. Mm-hmm. How they arrive at this scene. Yeah. Because in the book, we had learned that Hagrid was back right at the end of the previous chapter. Yeah. And this chapter starts off with Harry going and get the invisibility cloak in the Marauder's map because it's nighttime and they are not supposed to be out. Yeah, because she just saw the light from the window right. in Gryffindor Tower. So, yeah. But it's the Golden Trio and they don't give a fuck. No. So they're going to go see Hagrid. He's back. Yeah. Harry and Ron are ready immediately and then they have to wait about five more minutes, like just tapping their foot, looking at their watches. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is Hermione doing? And then she comes right. downstairs with a scarf and gloves and one of her knitted elf hats. <laughs> and Ron's just like clicking his tongue at her and she's like, what? It's cold. <laughs> Somebody's a freeze baby. Yeah. But anyway, they creep out the portrait hole. Stop intermittently to check the map and make sure that Mrs. Norris or Mr. Filch or... Pepto bitch mall is nowhere near. 
And the only person they actually see the whole way, not even a person, it's a ghost. They see nearly headless Nick and he's not even going to tell on them if they did reveal themselves to him, but they still just sneak past him too. Yeah, because why even bring that up? No, they want to get to Hagrid. They get out to the grounds and now Harry can see the lights in his cabin and he basically like obviously he's stuck under a cloak with Ron and Hermione so he can't take off into a full sprint. He just starts marching as fast as he can. Yeah. Essentially dragging them behind him under the cloak. (laughs) Which is not how it happened in the movie. Though we do get to the same place. Yeah. I mean, you know. Excuse me while I fast forward here a bit. Okay, that's better. (laughs) First... We see Harry and Cho palling around and being super chummy in a courtyard while everyone else goes about their meek little lives around them. But before they make it into the school, we hear Hermione call out Harry's name and she informs him that everyone's favorite spelunking accident is back. Nice. (laughs) You're welcome. Harry looks at Cho for a minute before apologizing, piecing out and hightailing it away. Because, you know, bros before hoes. Bros before chose. <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and the look of disappointment on Cho's face is the closest we get to seeing the drama that arises between them in the book, which yeah. we'll talk more about later. This was essentially it in the movie, though. Yeah. Also, things happened before this scene in the movie. That we haven't gotten that to yet. That we haven't yet. gotten yeah. to yet in the book. So, yeah, it's a whole... It's a thing. I do believe the technical term is clusterfuck. It is a clusterfuck. It is a logistical nightmare. A, a gobbledygook, if you will. But these scenes were the same. Like, we couldn't not talk about this whole chapter when there was a corresponding film scene that happens, like, 13 minutes later in the movie from where we were. So, here we are trying to make it work. Yeah. So... Over the river and through the woods to Hagrid's hut, they go. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so it was just a quick trip downhill, but you get my point. There were no river or woods, but anywho, yeah, they get to Hagrid's cabin. So now, yay, same place. But not the same thing is happening. The movie scene kind of happens in reverse of the book chapter, and with way less detail. Thank you for pronouncing every A for me. You're welcome. <laughs> I was I was channeling my inner Dr. Cox. Really? Think that they cut a lot out of this book. Yeah. <laughs> they get there. But before knocking or otherwise making their presence known, they hear a shrill, cunty noise that makes their balls retreat back into their bodies. Even Hermione's, which is a trick. Because, you know, Pepto Bitchmall's voice is pretty fucking jarring. It'll fuck with your body in ways you don't even know it can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they do a little peeping at the window and see that, yes, indeedy, Pepto Bitchmall is with Hagrid, grilling him on where the fuck he's been. Yeah, and in the book... When they reach the door, Pepto Bitchmall is not already there, though give it time. Mm-hmm. Harry just flat out knocks. Fang starts barking. Harry then yells through the keyhole, which I imagine being the keyhole to Hagrid's hut is actually pretty large. Yeah. It'd probably just, fit a hand. I just it's... see his whole mouth up to, it's Josh Hagrid! <laughs> <laughs> and Hagrid is like, should have known. <laughs> not the least bit surprised. No. That the trio have shown up at this point. Like, he's like, I just fucking got back. And here you are. Of course. Data tracks. Yeah. He opens the door and Hermione literally screams. Because Hagrid looks like somebody put him in a fucking blender. Aww. That's sad. He tells him to keep it down. Mm-hmm. Like, shh. Be cool, bitch. Be cool, bitch. <laughs> Invites him in. Is moving very gingerly as well. Mm-hmm. So Harry's just like... Dude's got broken ribs, too. Yeah. Like, he has cuts on his face, huge black eye, it's puffy, bruises everywhere, and maybe broken ribs. He's a fucking mess. Yeah. He got fucked up hard. And considering it's Hagrid, that had to be something big that fucked him up. Yeah, he's not easy to fuck up. No. No, not at all. Like, we're talking about a dude that, like, plays with three-headed dogs and fucking black- Giant fucknopes. Giant fucknopes, fucking 
blast ended scroots dragons he, yeah and he is looking just straight up a mess yeah and what's adorable is that when harry asks him what happened he thinks he can get away with saying nothing yeah i mean are you gonna try i tripped now haggard like oh he will later yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, i just tripped no big deal he also tries to change the subject and just offers them tea. Like, this is just a normal <laughs> visit. Dude, you've been missing for two months and yeah. you look like shit. Yeah. No, we don't want tea. Tell us what the fuck happens. He's like, hey, let me make you a cuppa. How's school going? Right? How are things? And Hermione's like, Hagrid, you look terrible. You should go see Madame Pomfrey. Like, this is not okay. And he's like, I'm dealing with it. And he pulls out this large greenish tinged steak. It's Ew. like dripping greenish blood. Ew. And Ron's like, please tell me you're not going to eat that. That does not look okay. Or just please tell me that it's not like a normal animal. Like, please tell me it's not like a cow steak. And it's actually like, that's just what dragon steak looks like or something. I think it is a dragon steak. And he's just like, it's not to fucking eat. And he puts it over his eye. Mm-hmm. So we do have kind of a ding there because we do see Hagrid with a steak. Yeah. So that's something. Yeah. Hagrid starts making tea and Harry's just like, so you're going to tell us what happened? Mm-hmm. And Hagrid tries to get away with saying, can't top secret. Come on, Hagrid. Shouldn't have said that. Come on. Should not have said that. Come on, guy. And not pulling any punches at all. Hermione just says, did the giants beat you up? Oh. And Hagrid immediately, because no poker face, immediately just goes, who told you I've been with giants? Yeah. Yeah, they could have literally just started, like, spouting anything just to, like, test him. Right. Or just be like, you know, we heard what happened. They could have been way more vague about it and probably still gotten something out of him. But at this point, they have a pretty good idea. Right. I mean, it's Hagrid, so they were gonna get the truth from him anyway. So he's, who told you where I've been? And Hermione just, Hagrid, we guessed. (laughs) It was pretty obvious. What you were trying to do there. Right? Yes. And I love this part, too, because Hagrid tries to pretend like he's annoyed with them for mm-hmm. knowing more than they should know. And he flat out calls them nosy and interfering. And I mean, spot on, Hagrid. I mean, not wrong. But he can't say it with a straight face. Yeah. So you know that he's also kind of pleased that they've already figured this out. And right. he can't tell them because he was going to anyway, like you said. Yeah. He was never going to be able to keep this a secret. Now he doesn't have to. So yay. Yeah. He was never going to be able to hold out from the niffler of information that is the trio. Right. He does try to keep it vague Mm -hmm. when he admits that he was with giants, which he essentially confirmed accidentally with his reaction, but then flat out does. Yeah. Ron wants to know where the giants are, and Hagrid just goes, mountains. I mean, they don't really have an address, Ronald. Like, find a mountain, find a giant. I mean, it's not like they can get a one bedroom in Hogsmeade. There is that. You know, shit. But Ron is not satisfied with the answer of mountains and pleads for more information. Trying bargaining. (laughs) He's just like, you tell us about being attacked by giants and Harry can tell you about being attacked by dementors. And Hagrid's immediately like, what, you were attacked by dementors? Right. And Harry's like, yeah, didn't you hear? And he's like, I've been gone. I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) He's like, what happened? And he's like, yo, I got attacked by Dementors. And then I was almost expelled, but I wasn't. And Hagrid's just like, wait, what? (laughs) Oh, so we're all catching up today. Yes. And he's trying to get more information from Harry about that. And Harry just very innocently says, tell us about your summer and I'll tell you about mine. Mm -hmm. And then he just like, holds Hagrid's gaze and blinks. <laughs> so that's more of a batting of eyelashes that you're yes. doing to me right now. So I don't know what information you want out of me, but Whatever okay. you're willing to tell. <laughs> well, when I was five. Anywho. Okay. Hagrid agrees and moves the conversation along, letting them know that at the end of the term, he and Madame Maxime headed to where Dumbledore told him that giants would be. Mountains. Yeah. They weren't allowed to use magic, mostly because Hagrid's not allowed to use magic and they were being followed by somebody in the ministry. So they had to be super careful and it took them like a month to get there. Mm-hmm. And then in one of the most adorable comments that Hagrid could possibly make, he just nonchalantly mentions that he and Olamp stick out a little bit. A little bit. And Ron actually has to like stifle a laugh, <laughs> turning it into like a cough as he takes a drink of tea because duh, like, yeah, a little bit. That's mm. what you're going to go with. 
understatement of the century. Yeah. <laughs> That's as understated as your mom's hoo-ha. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they managed to give the ministry person a slip when they were around Dijon. And Hermione gets really excited that like, oh, are you in Dijon? I went there on holiday once. Did you see? And Ron just silenced her with a look. Like he was not on holiday, Hermione. <laughs> I really like that mustard, though. Yes, that is a good mustard. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he had any. Mm, I don't think that the giants are really all that keen on condiments. Anyway. <laughs> once they got away from the ministry official, they were able to use a little bit of magic. So they were able to make it to the mountains with only a few issues that apparently involved like a minor disagreeance with a vampire in a pub and something else. I don't know. You know, like you do. The huge. Yeah. Shit that doesn't totally sound like the setup of a joke. (laughs) But then once they got closer to where the giants actually were, they had to be careful about using magic so they didn't piss them off. And they also had to be extra careful in case there were murder munchers around. That's definitely something to watch out for. But they did eventually find the giants, apparently about 70 or 80 of them, which Hermione was surprised that that's all that was left, but... Aside from killing each other off, there were also wizards that were killing some of them. And just they have dwindled in numbers because they don't really have a safe place to live. Yeah. I mean, I also imagine that's not like all of them in the world. I mean, that might be all of them in this general vicinity. Yeah, in that location. I think they all kind of got forced to that area during the last wizarding war. That could be true. I don't know. There may be other giants in other mountains. Yeah. But in the European area, I think this was it. Little slim pickings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ron was wondering why, if they're just that easy to find in the mountains, why weren't muggles finding them? Mm-hmm. And Hagrid's like, well, they do, but their deaths are usually put down to mountain climbing accidents. Yep. There's a lot of those. Yeah. So interesting. Which, I mean, isn't a lie. <laughs> they climbed the mountain, they died. Yes. There's just a couple of steps missing. Yeah. But... They were given very specific instructions by Dumbledore to follow to properly approach the giants and not be a mountain climbing accident themselves. Yes. And the first one is don't go down at night. You don't want to sneak up on them. That's just always a good rule of thumb for any time you're going to go around somebody dangerous. Right. They go first thing in the morning when it's light out and they show up with a gift for the gurg. Gurg. And they're like, Gurg? He's like, oh, that's the chief of the giants. But you have to show respect to them because wizards have not respected giants in the past. And there's been huge wars between them. Their numbers have obviously dwindled. Mm-hmm. So you have to approach them carefully to protect yourself and to get on their good side. Yeah. There may not be that many of them, but the ones that are there are pissed. And they're like 20 to 25 feet tall. So yeah, they gonna fuck you up. Yeah. Anyway, this Gurg is named Carcass, and he's just lying down in the valley. Like you do. Like you do, if Mm -hmm. you're a giant, I imagine. Yeah. And they walk up to him, holding the gift as high as they can, and then bow as they place it at his feet and explain that this is a gift from Dumbledore to show his respect. Mm -hmm. And Ron wants to know what the gift was. He's like, what do you give a giant? Was it food? And Hagrid's just like, nah, you can get food just fine. Yeah. We gave him a branch of Gubraithian fire. Which was our trivia question and is really fun to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hermione is really impressed by this because not just any wizard can charm wood to burn forever. <laughs> <laughs> I regret my phrasing now, but I'm going to keep it that way and move along. <laughs> She's also really annoyed that she has to explain to Ron and Harry that it is everlasting fire because Flitwick has mentioned it at least twice in class and why don't they pay the fuck attention? Because you're there, Hermione. Oh, duh. What do I have to pay attention for? Hagrid, not wanting this argument to continue, just quickly keeps going with his story, saying that what they said was the a gift to the Gurg of the Giants from Albus Dumbledore, who sends his respectful greetings. Mm-hmm. And Carcass doesn't speak English, so he has no idea what's going on. And they get a couple of other giants who actually do speak the language and they kind of translate for him and they sort of figure out what it's going on and then he's really pleased with this gift because that's pretty fucking awesome yeah it's cool as hell it's gotta be super useful mm-hmm. they then said that they're going to return the next day with another gift since dumbledore also said it's good to show that you keep your word and not overload them with information all at once yeah 
And then they keep to their word and they show up the next morning. But this time, Carcass is actually sitting up in the valley. He's just waiting for him. Mm -hmm. He's excited about this. Yeah. And he gets his second gift, which is a nice goblin-made battle helmet. And he's got his translators right there ready to go. So now they tell him a little bit about why they're there. And there's actually quite a few giants that seem interested in what he had to say because I'm sure they all remember what it was like before and how mistreated they've been. And anybody wizard-wise willing to show them respect has got to mean something. Yeah, for sure. So they're like, awesome, cool. This is a great start. We'll be back tomorrow with another present. Yeah. It's more of a seduction. Yeah. You got to woo them. Yeah. You must you must go a-courting for mm-hmm. the giants. But that night... <laughs> Shit hits the fan. Yeah, as it usually does. And I have a theory about how this happened. But there's a big fight. Mm-hmm. And the next morning when they show up with their third gift, instead of finding Carcass sitting waiting for him, they find Carcass's head at the bottom of the lake and a new gurg named Golgamath. Oh. Now we got to start all over? And they got to start all over. But they don't want to give up. They've only been there two days this is the third day so they try to give him the gift that they brought for carcass and instead of a warm welcome Mm -hmm. hagrid finds himself hanging upside down by his feet by two other giants i mean maybe that's just how they get you ready for the orgy i think if by orgy you mean ripping him limb from limb then yes different strokes different folks i guess that's all i'm saying but the only reason why this isn't the situation that put Hagrid in the current state he's in is because Olamp was able to cast the conjunctivitis curse super fast mm-hmm. and hit the two giants right in the eyes and they dropped him. And then he gets up and they both fucking book it. Yeah. And then the trio are just like, so that was it? Like, How did you end up so injured though? And Hagrid's like, well, we didn't leave then. Oh, yeah. like, that's not, we were only there three days. We weren't about to give up. Right? We're, we're not going to double door down. <laughs> We're not going to bitch out like that. I mean, come right. on. But they also knew that they couldn't just go walking back into the camp the way they did. And at this point, they were probably running out of gifts. So they kind of just went back to the cave that they found and they laid low and watched what was going on, which was nothing good. And this brings me to my theory because mm-hmm. they ended up seeing that there were some murder munchers visiting the Gurg, mm. bringing him gifts, and they weren't getting hung up by their feet. Mm, that doesn't bode well. So what I think happened is Hagrid and Madame Maxime got there first, made positive contact with the Gurg, mm-hmm. and the murder munchers showed up and saw that, and they found the biggest, meanest giant that they could, got on his good side and persuaded him to kill the Gurg. Yeah. And that sounds very murder munchery. Yeah. That tracks. That yeah. tracks. Anyway, the trio want to know how Hagrid knew that they were murder munchers. And he was just like, oh, because I recognize McNair. I won't forget that face for a while after he tried to kill my horsey bird. Yeah, fuck that guy. So we know that McNair was one of the murder munchers there mm-hmm. speaking to the new Gurg. But they decided that even though this new Gurg seemed to favor the murder munchers, that didn't mean that all of the giants were. Mm-hmm. So they started sneaking around at night looking for the ones that that hadn't wanted Golgamath as the Gurg. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ron's just like, well, how do you know which ones those were? It's like, oh, they got the shit kicked out of them? Yeah. Come on, Ronald. Get with it. Yeah. Because And because most of them were pretty badly hurt, it also made them a little less dangerous. So, hey, Perk. Yeah. I mean, it sucks for them, but they're less likely to be in a state to attack. Yeah. They were still worried they would run into the murder munchers who were still out and about. So they had to be really careful. But they ended up managing to persuade about six or seven of them to come help with this big wizarding war when it came about. Which is good. Until Mm. Golgamath and his evil giant lot raided the caves and ended up killing a bunch more of them. And the few that did survive were like, peace out, yo. Like, Yeah, I kind of can't blame them. I don't think I can either. Mm Mm-mm. But at this point, Hagrid feels like they really did what Dumbledore asked, which was really just to pass along the message. Mm -hmm. He wasn't necessarily expecting Hagrid to come back with an army of fucking giants. Yeah. They just needed to know what was going on and know that there were people that believed in them, too. Mm -hmm. And they did that. And maybe some of them would remember and would still come. Yeah. 
So anyway, this is clearly kind of the end of Hagrid's story. And they all just go silent for a few minutes. And then Hermione quietly asks if Hagrid heard anything about his mother. Mm, yeah. Which he says that he learned she died years ago. And Hermione says that she's sorry, but Hagrid's just kind of like, eh, I don't really remember her. She wasn't a great mom. Yeah. A little absent. Yeah. yeah. So they all fall silent again. And then Ron's just like, but that doesn't actually explain how you got the shit kicked out of you. And Harry's just like, or why you're so fucking late getting back. Yeah. Like that was what? That was five days? It was what? Like a week? Yeah. It was like a week. I mean, he's been gone for months. Yeah. Fuck have you been, dude? Exactly. And I love that he tells this whole story and he's just like, and that's it. And they're like, you never even answered our actual question. Yeah. Misdirection. Yeah. <laughs> Except it doesn't work with the golden trio. Telling you. Information nifflers. Yeah. what they are. But before they can get their actual questions answered, mm -hmm. there's a knock at the door. It startles Hermione. She drops her mug. It breaks on the floor. Sure. Fang starts barking, which is probably a blessing, and it muffles some of the sounds going on. I was like, yeah, probably distracted. And they look out the window to see that it's Pepto Bitch Mall at the door. I don't think she's there to sell Mary Kay either. Probably not. No. So they dive under the invisibility cloak. They're like, Hagrid, hide her mugs. And they back into the corner. And Hagrid has no idea what's going on. He has no idea what kind of shit show he walked back into coming back to Hogwarts. Oh, yeah. So he's just like, what? And opens the door and sees this woman that's like the idiotiest, bittiest thing that barely comes up to his navel <laughs> just standing there. Yeah. He's like, who the fuck are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously since the movie flip-flopped the order of arrival between the trio and Bitch Mall, they are not hiding under an invisibility cloak in the corner. Also, it's not night. No. Also, also, basically nothing that you just mentioned happened in the movie, with the exception of the teeniest details, which we will talk about in a bit. Yeah. So because Pepto Bitch Mall is an absolute cunt, she speaks to Hagrid very slowly and loudly, almost like he's deaf or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of those. Yeah. Oh. But it's not because she thinks he's hard of hearing. It's because she thinks he's stupid. Yeah. That's what I said. One of those. Yeah. yeah. And she just goes, so you're a Hagrid, right? But, you know, loud and slow. Bitch, I might be. Who's asking? And Hagrid has no idea what is about to happen. So he's just yeah. like, yep, that's me. Mm -hmm. But she just walks right into the room without being invited. And Fang, who's being a little bit traitorous in this moment, animals are supposed to sense evil. Yeah. And he's just trying to lick her in the face. But she snaps at him and like goes to hit him with her handbag. Don't fuck with another man's dog. Yeah. Isn't that fucked up? I was like, ugh, just different. Like push him away. Fine. But you don't like bring your handbag into this shit. Come yeah. on. She's a Pepto bitch mom. She is. But like I said, Hagrid's super confused and he's just like, so who are you? Like, now you know who I am. Reciprocate, please. And she says that she's Dolores Umbridge. And he's like, I thought you worked for the minister. She's like, well, I do. But now I'm the defense against the dark arts teacher. And Hagrid's trying to be pleasant with her he has yeah. no idea what this woman yeah. is he doesn't have any bias against her no yet. and he's just like oh that's brave of you mm -hmm. not many people would take that position and she just goes and the hogwarts high inquisitor and he's just like what's that <laughs> the fuck is that that sounds made up as shit well it is i know <laughs> but instead of answering what the hogwarts high inquisitor is she just points the broken mug on the floor and says exactly what i was about to say what's that because having a broken mug is apparently super suspicious. Heaven forbid you break a goddamn mug. Right? And he's just like, oh, Fang broke that one, so I had to use this one. And just holds up the mug that he is drinking out of. Mm -hmm. And Umbridge just keeps on fucking snooping around his house. I mean, that tracks for her. It doesn't sound out of character. I'm actually a little surprised that she wasn't like snooping around before he even came home. Oh, she probably did. Yeah. She also quietly states that she heard voices and Hagrid's like, oh, that was just me talking to Fang. She's like, oh, does Fang talk back? He's like, in a manner of speaking, you know, I always say that. And I don't know if he's just completely clueless because he's still trying to be cordial with her. Yeah. And he hasn't quite picked up on this yet. 
Or maybe he has picked up on it and knows that he needs to try and just make this as quick as possible. So just be nice. and Yeah, you know. maybe. I don't know. But he's kind of awkwardly rambling. And yeah. Pepto Bitch Mall is not buying a single bit of it. And mentions that there's three sets of footprints leading from the castle to his cabin. And he's just like, oh, well, I just got home. Maybe somebody came to see me earlier. And she's like, yeah, but there's no footsteps leading away. Maybe they flew. Yeah, Hagrid's just like, why? I have no idea what that's about. Like I said, just got home. Mm -hmm. And then Umbridge takes her snooping to the extreme and starts opening cabinets, looking under the bed, peering in the giant cauldron that he had. Wow. She's like a jealous girlfriend. Like, I know you got this bitch hiding somewhere. Where is she? Right. And I don't know if she knows that it's Harry, Ron, and Hermione or what. Probably, but. I mean, she can probably guess. Yeah. You know, considering they've been the ones asking where Hagrid is since school started. Yeah. Anyway, she then asks about his injuries because that's what everybody wants to fucking know at this point. Yeah. And Hagrid continues on with that whole rambling thing that he's been doing, talking about how he fell over a friend's broomstick and not his broomstick because he can't fly. Look at the size of him. And he's just like going on and on and on oh. about how he sustained these injuries that were most definitely not caused by tripping over a broomstick. Right. Well, see, I tripped over a broomstick and it was at the top of a flight of stairs. And so then I fell down the stairs and at the bottom of the stairs, there was actually a cliff. There was a roller skate <laughs> and that sent me like, you know, going off the cliff that was there as well. Like uh, essentially they should really put a baby gate at the bottom of those stairs. I'm just saying, but whatever. So then it would keep Voldemort out too. Exactly. <laughs> Number one defense against Voldemort. Yeah. But anyway, she doesn't need to hear all of this nonsense. So just cuts him off. Mm -hmm. And now wants to know where he's been. Because again, question of the hour. Yeah. She points out that none of his colleagues seem to have any idea. Or if they do, they certainly haven't been telling her. And the term started two months ago. So he's really fucking late. Hagrid says that he's been away for his health which gets him a very dubious your health. And he's like, yeah, you know, bit of fresh air. And he really should have been like, yeah, you should have seen me two months ago. <laughs> Looked way worse. Yeah, but this is not something on the market. Nobody's no. buying this. Pepto bitch mall, especially not. And she just uses that really obnoxious, sweet voice to try and make everything sound sincere as she says the most sarcastic, bitchy thing possible, mm -hmm. saying that fresh air must be so difficult to come by as gamekeeper. Except it's more like, oh, yes, because fresh air must be so difficult to come by as gamekeeper. Mm -hmm. Which, if she wasn't such a cunt, I'd actually have to be kind of proud of the sarcasm. It is objectively Top notch. I mean, it's some pretty decent sass. However, she's a cunt and we fucking hate her. So we're not going to give that to her, actually. I voted. And this part actually does happen in the movie as well. So it's kind of nice because we get Imelda Staunton actually delivering that line. And does so well. And she just nails it. Like, mm -hmm. damn. But she asks where he's been, and Hagrid tells her that he's been on a yoga retreat, and she needs to mind her own goddamn business. I mean, that last part's a little more implied than anything, but still. Yeah. She, of course, is not buying what the hag is selling. And she calls bullshit, but he sticks to his story of needing to get away for a bit, you know, commune with nature and all that kind of shit. Yeah. And Umbridge, again, calls bullshit. And points out that he's got quite a bit of nature to commune with right there on Hogwarts grounds. I mean, if it were me, I'd just be like, okay, but I wanted nature that wasn't full of hormonal teens and little prepubescent shitheads who keep nagging me incessantly with their stupid questions. Because, I mean, surely Bitch Mall would be able to side with that logic, right? You are giving her far too much credit. I, I guess. And it doesn't matter because he doesn't try this line of reasoning anyway. And as such, the little pink twat tells him that he shouldn't get too comfy and should probably keep living out of his suitcases for a bit. You know, just in case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the book, like we said, it's kind of similar. This is a bit of a ding here. Yeah. Hagrid mentions that change of scenery. Yep. But what we don't get in the movie is Umbridge blatantly saying mountain scenery. Ooh. And Harry knows that she knows. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. And 
this is not portrayed in the movie at all. No. Well, partially they don't even mention that he was in the mountains with the giants. He just right. said he found the giants. Which we'll get to talking yeah, about that as exactly. well. But everything that Hagrid says in response to a question she asks him trying to trip him up, she has to challenge mm-hmm. because she's trying to trip him up. She also tells him that she's going to be letting the minister know that he got back late because she's going to tattle. And informs him that as High Inquisitor, she'll be inspecting him. So she's sure she'll see him again. Can't wait. And (laughs) Hagrid's just like inspecting me. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yes, the ministry is determined to weed out unsatisfactory teachers. Then why are you still here, bitch? Right? exactly what i want to know (laughs) but anyway with this mic drop she leaves harry ron and hermione are still under the cloak and hermione tells harry to wait because they want to be sure she's really gone yeah and hagrid watches from the window to let them know that she's actually making her way back up to the castle and not just doing one of those like okay i'm going now see you later (laughs) yeah and then they take the cloak off and she comes back through the door no that did not happen she really left okay Again, done differently in the movie, since Bitch Mall got there first. The trio see Umbridge going to make her bitchy exit, and they quickly duck out of sight, because they're still outside the hut. They're not in it. She leaves Haggy's hut not a minute too soon, because that boy was about to send her on a spelunking trip with no safety equipment, if you know what I'm saying. I wish. (laughs) But because she can't pass up a chance to insult someone, even if they don't know it, she acts like the disgusting smell that constantly wafts off of her is actually coming from Hagrid's hut and douses herself and the door of the hut with perfume that she probably bought at a fucking Walgreens before making her way back up to her lair in the castle. There is no way that her perfume smells good either. I imagine it being super sickly sweet Mm -hmm. or smelling like cats. I feel like it would put the toilet in eau de toilette. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Agreed. We then join the trio and Hagrid in his hut, catching up over some giant bowls of tea. Hagrid has a stake in his hand that he keeps like attempting to put on his eye because your boy is looking rough. However, he is not looking as rough as the book made it sound like he looked. No, he does not nearly look. Like he was put in a blender. Yeah. No, I mean, he doesn't look good. No, for sure. There's definitely some cuts and bruising there. Mm Mm-hmm. But I expected worse. Definitely. And he doesn't seem to be moving particularly badly either. No, So it just seems like all superficial in the face. Yeah. But Hagrid does his usual tea spilling to Harry, Ron, and Hermione, further proving that he is really the worst person to tell secrets to. I don't think anybody's doubting this at this point. No, mm -mm. I shouldn't have said that. The aforementioned T in this situation is the fact that Dumbledore sent him, just him, mind you. Yeah, no mention of Olam. Yeah. (laughs) Madame Maxime. Yeah. But Dumbledore sent just him to confer with full-blooded giants. And then he just kind of, he's like, okay, and that's it. Yeah, it's kind of a ding because he went to go talk with giants and we learned that in this situation. Yeah. But then it's also the way that they go about this part of the information is different. It gives information, but it also just kind of stops the information to the point where you're like, okay, was that even worth it? Was that even necessary? The way they did it wasn't necessary. Like, did this really even need to be done? Or, I mean, if you're going to half-ass it, why put it in at all? That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I see... A reason why they still needed to include it, which we can talk about later, but I really would like to get our Keeper's opinion on this. Yeah, definitely. So Hermione is suddenly surprised by Hagrid's admission, and she's all like, what the shit? And Hagrid's like, shut the fuck up. And she lowers her volume and she inquires about him finding them. And this is quite a bit different than how it happened in the book, because he just flat out tells them he went to go find the giants. And in the book, it was the trio who was just like, we know you went to go find the giants. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of bluffing him, but it worked, so. They knew. Like, they knew, but yeah, he confirmed. He definitely confirmed, but they knew. Mm Mm-hmm. Hagrid brings out some hairy-level sass and points out the obvious fact that giants are pretty hard to not find, actually, seeing as they're big as fuck and all. Again, we're hitting a similarity. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But Hagrid really wasn't being sarcastic about it, more so as he was being evasive about it Yeah, in the book. And he goes on to say that Dumbledore sent him to recruit the big bastards to fight for the Phoenix. But the problem is, mm, murder munters want them too. Which is not surprising, though very obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Of course. And while we're all hoping that Voldy wants them to help sell murder muncher cookies door to door, or as I like to call them, murder munchies, <laughs> no, he wants them to fuck some do-gooder shit up. Again, not surprising. Yep. Harry asks if he succeeded or fucked up, and Hagrid just kind of like shrugged and said he tried his best. I mean, their RSVP to the final battle still seems to be left blank as of now, but... Which is basically where it ended with them in the book, too. Yeah. We just got a lot more details as to why that's where it was left that way. Exactly. He was just like, I mean, I did my thing. Stuff might happen. See you later. Lots of violence. Yeah. Harry asks if the giants are the reason that Hagrid looks so jacked up, and Hagrid just blames that on a particularly rocky spelunking adventure. But luckily, before he can go into details, Fang begins barking and just distracts. Yeah, which it's again kind of what happened in the book because they were deliberately trying to find out why Hagrid looked like that, and they got distracted kind of by Fang barking, but Fang was barking because someone knocked on the door. Yeah. That was the real distraction. Yeah. Not in the movie. No. <laughs> no. Hagrid, at this point, gives up on his non-vegan Band-Aid, and he tosses it to Fang on the floor. He turns his attention back to the trio, but at this point, the wind picks up, and we see that Hagrid's hut is in desperate need of some new insulation and windows. Because that bitch is drafty as fuck. Like, there's grass rolling on the floor. The clouds and thunder roll as they all look out the window and Hagrid tells them that shit is totes about to go down and we need to be prepared as fuck when it does. But then we get this excellent lightning transition followed up by a check-in at the ban where a lovely looking gentleman peeks at his evil ink and sees it getting darker and creepier than usual. And that's the end of the movie section. The movie section that we jumped forward to grab to make sure it corresponded with this book chapter. Yeah. Woof. (laughs) Woof indeed. Speaking of book chapter, though, it shockingly ends in a different, less mysterious manner. What? It's just the trio filling Hagrid in on the inspections that are happening, giving him the heads up that Trelawney has already been put on probation, and Hermione's just like, don't fuck this up. (laughs) Yeah. What are you planning on teaching? You can't do anything dangerous. You need to be on your best behavior, dude. She's trying to get rid of anybody that is too close with Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, Like, you can't fuck this up. Yeah. This isn't just, like, some strict inspection. Like, this is a straight-up witch hunt. Or a wizard hunt, in this case. But, yeah. Or a half-giant hunt. Or a half-giant hunt. This is definitely a half-breed hunt. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Ew. Ew, indeed. Gross. And then Hagrid is, bless him, bless, not taking it seriously, not even really listening to her warnings, mm-hmm. just kind of looks at his watch and stretches and it's like, oh, it's been a long day. I'm pretty tired. You guys should get back to the castle. To be fair, from Hagrid's perspective, he just like faced out against a bunch of giants. This woman barely came up to his navel. Yeah. Yeah, he's just kind of thinking, what's this bitch going to actually do? Right. Come on. This little Napoleon complex bitch. I mean, absolutely, but mm-hmm. he doesn't know. Yeah. Oh, sir. <laughs> you going to learn today. He going to get schooled. Mm-hmm. But he does tell them that they better get back to the castle and reminds them to wipe their footprints behind them, which maybe they should have been doing that on the way down. Right. Maybe put some impervious charms on the snow or something. Something. On the way back, that's exactly what they do. And Ron's just like, I don't think you got through to him. (laughs) You think, Ronald? Yeah. And Hermione says, I'll go back tomorrow. I will plan his lessons for him if I have to. Mm -hmm. Pepto Bitch Mall can throw Trelawney out all she wants, but she is not fucking taking Hagrid. Mm. Which I do like that she totally comes to bat for Hagrid. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty adorable. Mm -hmm. But that... Like I said, is the end of the book chapter. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Very different. Even though it's the same scene. Yeah. But very different. And we actually do have a new actor to talk about. Since Hagrid has finally shown up, we have the return of Robbie Coltrane. Fabulous Hagrid. He's just Hagrid. He is Hagrid. 
My only real complaint about this is fully cosmetic because I wanted him to have the shit kicked out of him. (laughs) That sounds rude, but I know what you're saying. (laughs) Right? You wanted to have the makeup department kick the shit out of him, basically. Figuratively. That too, yes. And visually. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he did great. He was Hagrid. He was wonderful. Again, this comes down to a writing standpoint. Yeah. It comes down to they just didn't give him the material. No. But had they, he'd have bossed it. He was such a great Hagrid. He was. And I do want to comment. One of the things that I love about this is there was no way they would have actually been able to make it look like Imelda Staunton was only up to Robbie Coltrane's navel. Right. But they did shoot this whole scene Mm -hmm. where they angled up at Hagrid to make him look taller and then down at Umbridge to make her look smaller. Yeah. And you never really saw the two of them side by side so much, but it gave that impression and I really appreciated it. Yeah. They totally cheated the angles and it was really well done. Yeah. Well done on the camera crew. Well done indeed. (laughs) But that was it, because Mm -hmm. they were really the only two in this scene, with the exception of Ron, Harry, and Hermione, who we know we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. So we can move on to our Potter pondering, which we want to know, what do you think about the lack of details about Hagrid's experience with the Giants, especially the omission of Madame Maxime, Mm -hmm. and just in general, how necessary do you think it was to include it at all, if that's all they were going to give us? Yeah. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you get that to me the Wednesday before the next episode so I can get that entered in. And if you don't make that deadline, don't worry about it. You can always stitch your response on TikTok. Just make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Abigail Church. She writes, My name is Abigail Church. I am a Ravenclaw. My wand is a Rowan wand with a unicorn hair core. Ten and a half inches, and my Patronus is an Osprey. I first heard of Harry Potter while working at Kmart in high school. Customers were looking for the books because their kids coveted them for birthdays and Christmas. I also got to hear other customers say how blasphemous they thought the books were when they saw someone buying them. I didn't think much of them then, because I was a senior in high school studying for finals and preparing for college. Years later, the first movie came out and honestly didn't really catch my attention. The second movie came and went without me noticing as well. At the time, I was too broke to do anything or afford cable, but I had a friend offer to let me borrow his copies of the first two movies. I accepted, thinking I was going to hate them, but felt like I had nothing better to do, so why not? I was hooked after watching them. I own all of the movies and watch them at least once a year. I also own all of the books and read them to my daughter. The story is full of pain and beauty and friendship. It's just so real except for the magic. I want my daughter to have that. It has been great sharing it with her. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Abigail. Yes, thank you. It's so sweet. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at podcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, Aside from Harry, how many people in his class seem to be able to see the Thestrals? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag mystery emaciated horseybirds will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. 
$2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like for Fox sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of chapter 21, the eye of the snake, and the lack of corresponding film scenes because they all fit into the second half of the chapter or sort of happened in an earlier scene, though in an entirely different way. Very succinct. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and hairy on! Oh, for fuck's sake. Thank you.